all right, man, check this out. So obviously we talk about music <laughs> all the time and people who know us probably get tired of us talking about music, but I don't care. Yeah. I'm sitting here with you. I'm going to talk music because I, I enjoy talking music with you. Guess what? Absolutely. I just what? came across a list of albums that turned 50 this year and it kind of floored me, man. Uh, I honestly, there were, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of surprises on there, but there were some on there that just made me just, you know, just take you back. I mean, 50 years, you think about that. Like there's, we've covered a lot of ground musically <laughs> in 50 years, but, uh, check out. So I, I came across these five specifically and I pulled these out because I wanted to bring them up to you. So check these out. Okay. First one I found was Neil Young's harvest. I, I, okay. Big. That that was one of my first vinyls I bought. I don't know about you. I, no, I, right. I, I was all over that. Great, one. great album. So good. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. I, here's one I know you love because my friend, you rock this guy in karaoke. Al Green's "Let's Stay Together" Ooh, turned fifty that's this solid. year. That's solid. Oh, I sick. love it. Sick, right? Kids, go listen. Go listen to Al Green if you haven't yet. If listen, anybody that are younger listeners. Go listen to Al Green. Go sit in a dark room, get yourself a little bit of whiskey, and listen to some Al Green in the dark. It will change your life. All right. That's keep going. Right. I love it. Here's another one. The Eagles' first record, their self-titled first album, <laughs> is 50. Is that That's amazing. Uh, unbelievable. I, I, well, you know, that's the thing about the Eagles. It's just like you, you watch how the Eagles come together, and you're just like, oh, you, you – uh, you guys just found each other. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can. Just, I got, you got four uh, guys that can crazy. sing eighteen part harmony. That's is fantastic. Oh, that's, good, good work, good guys. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. But no, an amazing, an amazing. Like the, you know, they're fifty. Wow, that's nuts. What else? Isn't we that got? insane? Okay, so another these these last two I really saved because they're some of my favorites. So the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from oh. Mars, which number one, I'm going to tell you nice. right now, I always just called this record Ziggy Stardust. I never knew it was actually called the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. But David Bowie, I mean, come on. Amazing. Absolutely. Um, amazing. Talk about it. Talk about a marketer, man. Dude. David Bowie. Right. Just absolutely amazing. Oh, absolutely amazing. We should dig more into that sometime. That's 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 we, a good that's a good conversation. Cause I because I I totally agree. That's that's a really, really cool. All right, here's my favorite one though. This okay. album turned 50. This album means a whole lot to me. Um so we could have the whole Beatles versus Stones conversation if you want to. Uh, that'll be a long pod. Uh I'm a Stones guy. I'm a big, big okay. Stones guy. Exile on Main Street. Nobody's Nobody's perfect, man. Nobody's I know, perfect. I know. Listen, I, uh, I you know I love the I'm Beatles too. I, I've just got such a I've got such a blues lean, so that's my that's my lean no, on, the, on the Stone side. But Exile on Main Street turned fifty this year, and it just blows you away, you know, at the staying power of a lot of these pieces of music, and a lot of people like that are listening because you know we have we have a lot of folks that are our age that listen. We have a lot of older folks. We have a lot of younger folks, and. I guarantee you one way or the other, you have caught this music and you just probably, even if you don't know it, you have caught this music and it's been, you know, a part of something. And that's, that just, it's nuts to me, the staying power of all of these. And the fact that, you know, 50 years old, uh, absolutely blows me away. And I think that, yeah, we, we get into sort of that vibe of, um, music and the marketing of music is very, very interesting when it comes to um, how you can market any business. And I think when you really learn a lot of the fun tricks that are going on with uh, you know music marketing, uh, they're applicable 
in so many other things, whether it's a small business or you know you're running an online business. Um, it's some very interesting things you can do there, which brings us to wow it's like you set this up you put it on a nice little silver platter for us well technically i think you set it up but like <laughs> that's neither here nor there but uh, very nice i sir. mean very it, nice. it was well done it was a joint effort I'm, a, I'm i'm proud to go in on this with you but that's what we're going to talk about today is we're talk about because you you're you're a rock star dude you like you and you have you've had multiple rock bands over the years and and you have used skills that you have from the music side to build your business and vice versa you've used your business skills to build your rock band. And I think it's, it's a really cool conversation to have. So I'd love to kind of just dig into your brain a little bit about how you've used your marketing prowess to kind of build a rock band and, and, and build a multi-million dollar business alongside it. Yeah. Let's dive in. Let's do it. All right, so it should be it should be said after that intro that I do nothing but show up and talk on these. He's the one that's do Marshall's the <laughs> one that actually produces these and comes up with all the fun things that we get to talk about you guys. And so just a props to Marshall before we get into this. <laughs> uh, all the clever setups and all that I have zero to do with. I just get to come talk. So uh, we have a fun topic today, though. So what are we talking about? We have a very fun topic. We have probably our favorite topic, and it's a, it's it's about how we combine a couple of our favorite topics into one. And and we're t- we're talking about music. And we're talking about marketing, man. So obviously, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot. But you're an extremely, I know you'll you'll never admit this yourself, but you're an extremely talented musician. And it seems, <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly believe that you that you have been for a long time. But it seems like no matter where your professional career takes you, because you've you know you've taken some dips and ducks along the way. Um, but there's always been, man. You've always had this underlying current of something that you're working on in the music space. You're always working on something in the music space. That's always been kind of in the background and sometimes in the very foreground. So, and something I know because I, I I know we've known each other forever, but others may not know this is, this is not new for you. This is something you've been doing for a long, long time. So I'd love to start back there in the beginning to, to give people a real kind of glimpse into your musical past. So I tell us, I mean, tell everybody that's listening. When do you remember first being bitten by the bug and and when i say by the bug you know what i'm talking about without by the muse musician the performance bug when 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 would you really say that you really fell in love with with music and then when when did you decide that you wanted to start writing and playing and producing it yourself um it started off for me because i had you know these are the days (laughs) long before the internet uh, was you know readily available to serve up music to us um but for me, music has always been sort of this really interesting part of my life because of my dad. And my dad, for anybody that doesn't know, has always been a quote-unquote radio guy. And so growing up, uh, whether he was working at a radio station or later on when he owned radio stations, there was always this um, supply of music in my house. Um, and you know, from records that he had to um, you know, when cassettes was sort of the thing that I came into. That's really dating oh me. Oh my but, gosh, how old uh, are you? Good grief! I know, right? Jeez. Um, <laughs> so, so I just remember, I remember like he had this. I don't know why it was stored in this, but it was this briefcase that I just remember. You, pop, it was one of those you know combo briefcases, and you popped the combo. It opened up, and there's just cassettes like in their cases, and and I, and so what I would do is you know. There was no, there was no, I mean, there was video games when, and I played Nintendo and stuff like that, but there wasn't the games like there are today. You know, I was really into video games, but like a lot of my pastime when I was by myself, because I was, I'm, I'm a very, even back when I was a kid, I very much enjoyed alone time. 
Um, I wasn't somebody that had to be on top of, you know, other people all the time. I very much enjoy sort of playing by myself and things like that. Uh, but also I enjoy people. But so what I would do is a lot of times I would very much just go through this one by one and put cassettes in a cassette deck and hit play and listen and just see if I like something. Like that was it. I didn't know what, I didn't know who these people were. Um, but I would just one by one work my way through this. And then like when I'd work my way through it, you know, I'd have my favorites, but then like another box of cassettes would show up from a radio station that mm-hmm. weren't in rotate, you know? And so I had this like constant rotation of music and getting into it. And it was like that for a very long time. And then like, I remember probably the fifth or sixth grade, I get into this mode of, you know, I start understanding what girls are. <laughs> and sort of my relationship with, you know, what that felt like. And for some reason, you know, music very much started making sense to me at that point. And so about that time I got into, um, that was about the time that I moved. And so, you know, I, I moved from where I was living to somewhere that was a little bit closer to the school that I went to. And so it was almost like I was close to what was happening all the time, but I was disconnected from it. And so about that time, I got into something that I think was really, really powerful in terms of a marketing case study, which was um, you had these two top 40 countdowns. Um, there was one that was on like a Thursday night, and then there was one that was on a Sunday. And Rick Dees, I believe, was on Thursday nights, mm-hmm. Rick Dees in the weekly top 40, and then you had Casey Kasem's top 40 or whatever. Yep. And they would they would count down the music and play the songs, and they'd have a whole little show. And what was funny is, you know, you'd get all this new music every single week. You'd get what was on the charts. And it was like, but not only did you get what was on the charts, but you felt connected to other people that were listening. And so it was like, even though you couldn't talk back and you didn't know if someone else was listening, you felt connected because you were a part of the audience. And so I always thought that was very interesting, right? And so I really started getting into... um you know, a lot of top 40 stuff. And then, you know, probably getting a little bit older, I started getting into sort of this, this scene that was happening, which was this grunge scene. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was just very, for a kid that was, you know, angry for no reason. (laughs) Um, that, that was, that was what was into it. So about that time though, I thought, Hey, this is cool. I wonder, you know, I wonder what it's like to, to do this stuff. And I got a guitar, couldn't play it, but I had friends around me that like had guitars, probably seventh or eighth grade that actually were much better than me. And so, you know, I remember showing up to um, to a house one day and everybody brought their instruments because that's what they did. We were all – and we we're like, hey, we should form a band. And for some reason, I started singing and that that was that was sort of the default of what we did. We played a couple songs and that, that never went anywhere. But then I got involved with a group of guys um, probably around the eighth grade and it was just like, hey, let's let's do this stuff. And so we started playing music together. We were not very good at all. Um <laughs> But we had a good time and we played some shows and I got used to what it what it was to build up to something, practice and put in hard work before and then show up at a show, perform and then go home and kind of what was the fallout of that. And so, you know, there was this really interesting sort of product launch thing that I learned how to do at a very young age. And didn't, I mean, I didn't realize what I was doing, but, you know, putting together a show and marketing the show and getting people too excited about the show and then doing the show. And then what did you get on the other side of that show? That was something that I had to learn very quickly because of that, that absolutely I use to this day. Um, anyways, from a band perspective, that first band that I was in broke up and then uh, I ended up uh, joining up with a couple of cats that were far superior musicians to me, but were far more serious. That first band, we were all just like, this is kind of fun. Yeah. These guys 
that I ended up with next, they had seen my other band and they said, Hey, you know, maybe come, maybe come sing with us. Um, and so I was like, cool. So I show up at this cat's house and, and immediately I'm like, Oh, these guys are really, they're, they're really talented. And so that was kind of my thing with, you know, what I learned from that without even realizing it at the time was I was like, when you get into a situation with people that are very, very skilled at what they do, the product that you can put out is much superior. Even though I came from this thing and, you know, I was still doing exactly what I did in the other thing, it pushed me to become better and to put more work into it. So the product that we started putting out was superior. And this particular band probably carried me all the way through high school into college. Uh, I still play music with one of the guys in that band to this day. Mm -hmm. Like we literally hung out two nights ago and played music and, you know, we're putting out music to this day together. But the idea was, is, that early formative part of those bands taught me how to put products together. Hmm. Didn't know it at the time. But even at that band that I took into college, compared to other bands that were around us, I don't feel like we had a superior product by any means. There were definitely more polished bands around us. But what we had is we knew how to market the product that we had. And so, you know, I was very fortunate in that we could market ourselves to show to play shows with national touring acts. And so we got to the place to where we were put in the mix with these national touring acts. We were in front of thousands of people with our little band. And, you know, it was one of those things that taught me, this is what it actually looks like at this level. Mm -hmm. And so being around those different uh, kinds of bands and seeing how it came together and seeing that like we weren't actually too removed uh, from what they were doing and and what would the effort be and what would the dedication be to have to get to that level of product? Uh, and was that the life that we were willing to have? And I think that's something that was very interesting that because we got in those situations, we got to learn some things that I think a lot of people that you know play music don't get to pick up on, which is what does it actually take? What are all the pieces of this puzzle that actually put it here? So yes, you've got a cool song and yes, maybe somebody picks up on it, but what does it take to actually put out this product every night when you're out on the road. And so getting to be around that, um, you know, I was very, I was very into the marketing at the time. I remember my first blog was to market the band, hmm. you know, it was way before there was a WordPress or anything like that. But my first blog was to market the band. And, you know, one of my first websites that I built was to market the band and it was not easy to build websites back in those days, but being able to put those things out being in that environment taught me a lot of things that, I mean, to this very day, I can trace back things that we're doing now to lessons that we picked up early on. And so that was, you know, that was sort of the start of it. It started off with just, you know, man, my dad, his radio station, getting into sort of top 40, being like, hey, could we do this? And thinking that we could, even though we couldn't, <laughs> uh, and doing it, but but being gifted enough. And that was it. We weren't. We weren't the most talented, but we were gifted enough to talk ourselves into some rooms that we really got to experience this musical world and what it took to get there. And those lessons were huge. Yeah, you you set a really good table there, and I'm definitely going to get to a couple of things you mentioned there along the way. And number one, you just totally took me back to that time in my own head because I can remember on those top 40 nights sitting there with a blank tape and waiting for a song that I wanted to hear and trying to hit record and you never hit it at the right time. Right? Like you, I, no, never. and every time I listened back, I always caught like the tail end of Rick D's talking or the tail end of some dumbass commercial. And it's on the front of my, you know, 
Genesis song or whatever right. it is that I'm trying to record. So, <laughs> so funny. And you totally took, took me back right there. Cause I can literally, I can hear those tapes right now, but I digress. I digress. What I want to, what I want to touch on is you, you touched on it a little bit there, but I'd love to, for you to go a little deeper because I know that you'll probably want to downplay some of this stuff, but I don't want you to, because I think this is what kind of set really the table for where we are now and what we're doing now. But you've been, obviously you've touched on, you've been in several bands over the years. You've done some solo stuff. T tell us about some of your, uh, I don't know, some of the highlights. Give me, t t you talked about, you know, maybe you hung out and, and, and toured a little bit with some national acts and stuff like that. Get, you know, Tell me your best show stories or, you know, just hit, hit, some, hit some highlights from those from those days, because I think that's going to really set the table for conversation we're going to have next. Sure. Um, the thing is, is it's about being prepared for opportunity. The thing that um, we established very early on, whether you thought we were skilled songwriters or not, is you knew we would show up and you knew we would play. That was it. Like we were not flaky. We had flaky people in our band, but we had a very solid core of if we said we were going to do something, we would do it. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that was a promoter around town, whether it was like we had we had a couple of rock stations at the time that you know were coming into their own, they started hearing our name and we didn't go away. And that's the thing. In the world of bands, there's so many bands that are there, then they're gone. Yeah. And that's just that's just how it goes. And for us, we were this one band and we were pretty consistent all the way through. You knew our name and you knew we were one of the bands that if you, you know, you liked our music at all, you knew that we would actually be where we said we were going to be. Right. And if you had ever been to one of our shows, you knew that we could play through. We weren't going to stop in the middle. You knew that we handled ourselves for, you know, a bunch of 17, 18 year olds. We handled ourselves pretty professionally considering. Um, and so that was that was something that I, I picked up on really quickly is that we would get shows because uh, we had a we had a set of songs we weren't really big into playing a lot of covers we had our own stuff and you know we would show up and we would put on a show yeah. and you know wasn't the best show in the world but we would actually put on a show right. and so a lot of times very early on and, and I'll lead into kind of what we did was. You know, we would get a gig. You know, one of the earliest gigs um, that we got was for um, there was a band, you know, that uh, Tommy Lee had uh, put together after, you know, Motley Crue. He had kind of put a band in after it. He had some hit stuff. And so Tommy Lee came to town and um, he had a show and, and we we played that. Um, it was also right around that time it, 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 that we opened for a band called Seether. Uh, and um, I really love Seether. It was a very Nirvana sound, and you, you know, I, I love kind of where they set in uh, that vibe. So that was fun. Um, also, got to play for you know some some bands that I really love. I really love this band called Trapped. Yeah. Um, that was that was here back in the day, and, and like I said, probably nobody knows who they are now. <laughs> but like, fun. There was a band called Earshot that was wonderful. That was sort of in that vibe. Um, probably the wildest. <laughs> The band that was the wildest that we played with, and, and there's some bigger bands I'll get into in just a second. But one of the wildest stories is when we opened up for Saliva. <laughs> um, at the time, I believe that uh, if you if you actually look at Saliva, if you know Saliva the band, um, they don't actually still have they still play, but they don't have the same lead singer. And this is this is on purpose because I believe right around this time their lead singer had a drug problem, and um, one of my uh, one of my bandmates actually got caught in a bathroom that the bouncer shut the door and they were doing drugs in the bathroom at one of the shows. Oh and dear. It was just, yeah, it was just <laughs> one of those things where I, I think very quickly on, we figured out who we wanted to be and who we didn't want to be. And that was something we didn't want to be. And, um, 
but it was here. Here's the really interesting thing about that story. It's that show with saliva trapped and earshot was sort of the same show that we played. And what was interesting is this band, these, these bands that were making money like trapped and earshot were actually very professional. They were very put together. And so I got this very cool sense of you don't have to have this destructive personality to make this work. Hmm. And so that was a good thing. And, and then right after these shows, we actually, this is the other thing that I think is incredibly important from a marketing perspective. Every show that we showed up to that was one of those, we leveraged it into a, another show that we wanted. Hmm. And so right around that time, uh, a couple towns over, um, in a bigger city, uh, a band that I really love, uh, Better Than Ezra, um, was playing. And um, I really wanted to open up for Better Than Ezra. Yeah. And so – you know what we did is we we used some of these past gigs that we had played and, and the thought was is if we could hold up our our own in those shows then uh we could hold our own with um that a show you know somewhere else yeah. and with somebody that didn't know us as much and so what and, and the, the vibe is this if you can prove yourself in some of your home grounds where maybe your friends get you in the door and you can add those things to your resume you can get that next thing in places where your friends aren't. And so we opened a show for Better Than Ezra by leveraging what we had already done um, with some of the other folks and then, you know, continued on from there. Uh, the lessons for me with opening those shows were very much the differences in, you know, how everybody conducted themselves, uh, but also the community. What you started to see very quickly is these guys that were playing drums for maybe Tommy Lee's band. Uh, when Tommy wasn't behind the drums, he was actually playing guitar and doing the singing. Um, these guys that were in some of these other bands, I followed them after we got to meet them and hang out with them into other bands that I liked down the road. And you start to find out that this musical community is actually very small mm -hmm. uh, overall, especially them, and that it was those connections that you would make that would pay off in a very big way. A very good book um, that was uh, just put out was was a book by Dave Grohl where he really goes through his, you know, kind of where he started, how he got here. And one of the things he, he always comes back to is like it's this community of people that like you always have an opportunity for your next gig if you want it because of this group of people that you meet along the way because it's not as big as you would think. And I think what really hit me about this is whether you're running a local business in a business community or, you know, maybe you're running an online business from the outside looking in, those things can seem very big and large. But at the end of the day, it's really about putting yourself out there, being consistent and building that community. And when you build that community, you put yourself in this position to where it's really hard to fail in the long term because you have this community. And even if the thing that you're working on right now doesn't work out, that next stepping stone is going to come because of what of that groundwork you established. And so all those fun gigs. I got to open for a lot of really talented musicians. There were bands that were a lot bigger that weren't as talented as some of the smaller <laughs> bands. Um, but the but the idea was always that once you really started to establish yourself with every step that you took, you could always get to that next step. And the only thing that really stopped us um, was that we all decided we were going to go do something else. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. that we we kind of looked at that life and said we could definitely do this um and you could make a living at doing that without having to be a national act right, right. um i have friends right now in, in in my town that never really go more than maybe 50 to 100 miles away from this town and they completely sustain themselves and have a great life um playing music hmm. 
And you know, a lot of people think a musical career is being on the radio and being a national act, and it's not that at all. But the idea is it's building that network and understanding that every gig that you play, and this is business too, every gig that you play, every event that you show up to sets you up for the next thing. And it's really when you start looking at life and business that way or your musical career, um, you start to be more strategic with how you handle things, and uh, it's very interesting. Absolutely. Well, so you touched on some really good stuff there, and I, I, uh, we're going to get into some of that a little bit deeper. But fast forward to now. Tell, tell me a little bit about now. I know you've got you got a couple <laughs> things going on musically right now that that are kind of prevalent for you. So just update us on that, and and, and tell me a little bit about what you got going on right now because I'm going to use that to transition into another part of this conversation for sure. I've learned some really good lessons. Um, what I thought being a musician was versus what being a musician actually is. Um, I have three projects that I really work on right now. Um, pretty heavily. The first one is, um, a band called uh, out in the wild and out in the wild is just basically, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's nothing like the rock, uh, roots for me, but like, I'm very into like dance music, yeah. uh, too. Um, and um, so I wanted to do something, you know, just to see what I could do uh, with that. And so how do you sort of blend what I normally do from a rock side into sort of that? The fun part about that is that opened up a lot of doors uh, for me uh, in, in communication with different people that I didn't have before because they're like, oh, I know Ben does music. What is this? And they'll listen to them like, I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I actually know some people that would, you know, and so we've opened up some business relationships and music relationships with that. Cool. Um, I have a band called Revelry Hill, Revelry, Revelry Hills, uh, and I always try to say it three times because the first time you say it, uh, you'll have to say it three times. That's right. But basic, basically, be- Beverly Hills, but with an R um, and Revelry. So Revelry Hills is, is a rock band, and we, we tend to lean towards kind of that 90s rock sound, which is just fun for us. Yeah. And, you know, original music. But um, very much that sound, and it's one of those things where there's, you know, we don't talk about niche marketing. Um, you don't in music. You don't have to be someone that's doing this latest and greatest thing. You can do something that's very much comfortable to you, and there's people that will follow it and they'll be behind it because it feels good to them too. Right. And so, you know, all of these are really lessons in niche marketing. the The third one is pretty the hardest one for me to understand, uh, but it's probably been the most educational, which is me playing solo uh, by myself. Uh, on an acoustic Hmm. and just showing up to places and something has become very apparent to me as to what my job actually is there. Cause every band that I'm in, I have a different job, Mm -hmm. but my job when I'm actually in the acoustic set is one of the most interesting to me because what I realize is, is my teammates in this or my teammates in this and the people that I work with um, are always, you know, how it works, the venue. So kind of how this works is, the best gigs that I have are when I'm working with a bar staff um, or a wait staff that understand what we're actually trying to do. Hmm. And so me playing solo, what I'm actually doing is, yes, I'm playing music, but I'm more of sort of your master of ceremonies and your party planner. Hmm. And so a lot of what I do norm, like I, you know, a lot of what I do by myself is I'm very much reading the room by split testing songs early on. <laughs> so we'll throw out a couple of different things early on, kind of see what the room reacts to. And then the rest of the set sort of leans itself that way. Like I've always got a set, but the set changes based on what that early split testing is. And what you're trying to really do is everybody that walks through that door, you're trying to make them feel welcome and stay and buy more drinks. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I'm really assisting the bartenders. I'm really assisting the wait staff. 
And the level of fulfillment that you get out of that is so much different. You know, playing a lot of covers, so much different than when you're playing a lot of your own music. But there's a level of fulfillment that comes and income, by the way, that comes with that. Yeah. That is very, very different. And so what I really like about it is for a long time, I was like, I don't want to play covers. I want to play my own stuff. And I was very about it. But then you sort of get in this mode of you're like, um, how am I? And this is the number one thing that I think that we can take into business is this. For every version that I'm doing, all you're trying to do is make people have a good time or make people feel heard. Hmm. That's it. And so with everything that we're doing from all iterations of this music thing, what I'm trying to do is how do I put people in a position where they feel like they're connected to something or they feel like they're not uncomfortable? Like, especially with the solo gigs in the bar, that is the main thing. It's like you get all these people walking in, they're looking for something. Yeah. How do you how do you make them feel comfortable enough that they can sit around long enough to find what they came in looking for in the first place? And when you wrap your mind around that's your job versus my job is to sing the best I can and to look the best I can and to be a <laughs> rock star up here, that's when you become the rock star. Huh. And my favorite rock stars out there, I, I, I'm just connecting this, by the way, after all these years, but my favorite rock stars out there, what they did really, really well is they, even though they were rock stars, they gave people the permission and the comfort around them to find what they were looking for at that place and to feel accepted and to feel like they're a part of this family of people. And I think that that's the thing that when you really understand that as a performer or as the head of a business, that's when your business starts to fly because that's when you can work with a team. That's when you can bring people closer. And by the way, it's funny, since I realized this, all of the phone calls that I've been getting to play other places has started to go up. Hmm. The people that are coming into my gig saying, I, I've actually heard about you, is starting to go up. And I think that that is, from a business perspective, if you can get that going for your business where people start talking about you behind your back because you made people feel accepted, you made people, people feel at home, that's where things start to get really interesting. So that's uh, it's, it's really it's fascinating. It really is. It's funny because to hear you talk about it, it's like you're, I mean, you're, you're a musician who's a marketer and you're a marketer who's a musician and you're blending these worlds like almost seamlessly. It's really, really cool to hear you talk about it because I, I think it's very, very interesting. But so obviously over the years, you've, you've become this marketing literal guru is skilled in a, obviously in a wide variety of error uh, of, of areas. So naturally I'd, I'd, I'd really love to know. So specifically, how are you using your marketing skills to work on these latest music projects? What's what specifically are you doing from a marketing standpoint to push these, these, I mean, I didn't even realize you, you got three freaking bands going at one time. That's unbelievable, yeah. but you also have the backbone to do it. And when I say backbone, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking the marketing right. backbone to be able to do that. And the, and the wherewithal and the knowledge of what's going on around you. So talk about that a little bit. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that. It's building your list. Um, and building your network. That, that is a hundred percent what it's about. And for me, you know, one of the big things that we like to do is uh, SMS list. Um, I love building SMS lists like, Hey, you want, you want it to be alerted when our latest single comes out? Cool. You want to know when we're playing our next show? Cool. Get on this list. Those are the kinds of things that when a venue wants to book me, yes. Number one, am I going to work well with their team? Am I going to make people feel that way when they're there? But if I can promise a venue that anytime they book me that I'm going to send out a message to 500 people in the area, um, it gets much easier to book me, but not only to book me, but to pay me more uh, right right out of the gate. Yeah. And so 
you know, and, and I think that, you know, that's obviously not where I make my money, but it's a scoreboard for me. Yeah. And for me, when I can see that my pay goes up, um, I see that I am actually offering more valuable to the venues right out of the gate. So from your business, you know, in a business perspective, that's the thing you got to look at is how are you not only providing a great amount of value right out of the gates? Like I know when I show up and I play, I'm going to be good for two or three hours to keep people engaged. Yeah. Fine. Now that's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum that I can absolutely do. And that's what most musicians, that's what most businesses do. Yeah. But what are you doing pre-gig to market the gig, mm. to get people through the front door? Okay. What are you doing post-gig to make people feel really, really good about the experience that they just had? Yep. You know, what are all the things that you're doing that go into before you actually show up and you set your stuff up and play? And I think that's the thing that's really big. It's like when we build these lists uh, of people that are interested in what we're doing, it may be a slow roll, but everyone counts because these people actually want to be on the list. They actually want to be a part of what you're doing. And that's the thing. When you can start offering more valuable you know, value to your partners, uh, both the people on the list and the people that you're working with, that's when things get really, really interesting. I think the other side is this, is, and this is dumb, you guys. But one of the more valuable things that I do that a lot of musicians around here uh, and a lot of musicians everywhere don't do is I very much – and this is, like I said, so stupid. <laughs> every gig, I have a flyer. Every gig. It's, it's a digital flyer that promotes the gig. And what I'm doing is – and I, I know this sounds so stupid and my, my marketers that are listening to this be like, so what? Like, who cares? <laughs> this, this is the bare minimum. Yeah, congratulations. Good work. Right. The idea <laughs> is – Every time I post a gig, there is something for someone to share. That's it. It's so stupid, but there's something for someone to share. Plus, and this is what venues start to understand about you. This is what, you know, other, if, if you're running a business, this is what people, I want people coming to my pages to know when the next show is. Where am I going to be next? As a business, if you're not posting on social media every single day, people stop coming to your social media pages to see what the latest news about your business is. Yeah. That's it. Like if you're consistent with these things, people are trained. And that's the idea. Every time I do a show, I'm putting up a, a flyer for the show. So people literally come to my profile and just be like, when's Atkins playing again? Because, you know, I got a night out coming up. Let's yeah. let's go do it. You know, maybe that's a good thing. So as a business, I think that's the most important thing is like, are you not only building a list where you can communicate with people, but with social media, are you putting things out on enough of a regular basis that people always know that this is the source, the source of the latest information? Yep. And as a musician, I look around and realize most musicians don't do that at all. They're waiting on the venue to do it. And then most of the venues don't do it either. Yeah. And so you show up to gigs that are half-assed because their prep work wasn't done. And nobody feels good after that. And so, you know, lessons I've learned along the way, but whether you're whether you're a band, whether you're a musician or whether you're actually a business, those are a couple of things that you can do that absolutely play exactly the same in both fields that will take everything you do way up here and the longer that you do it, the more compounding of an effect it has. Yeah, I think that's so important. I'm really glad you touched on that because I think there's also an element probably of of FOMO that you capitalize on when you do that too because I think about it from my own standpoint. If I go to someone's Facebook page and I see that last week I could have seen Ben Atkins play at this bar downtown. 
shit, I can't believe I missed him. You know what? I'm going to make sure to pay attention for the next time he comes around type thing. So it's, you, you get to, you get to kind of get a lot of that kind of runoff too. So that's, that's, that's great, really good point. So, and you talked specifically about, you know, sending out a text, uh, you know, you know, maybe you're doing some different things from an email standpoint. I don't know exactly what all you're doing, but so what kind of tools do you find yourself kind of leaning on these days to, to, to actually market your music or market a show? And, and, and then to follow up with that, talk a little bit about, kind of the most important spaces that you just absolutely have to have your music to be seen and heard in today's scene. Sure. Um, first things, the tools that I use Canva is, is a great tool. You guys Canva, yeah. whether you are a musician, whether you're a small business, Canva uh, gives you the ability to create great graphical content with templates that are built in. Most of my flyers, we build them in Canva. I throw a couple of my pictures in, I edit a template, bam, I got my flyer done in a couple of minutes. For anything that you're doing business-wise, that's the way to go. A um, couple other tools. Most of my social media, um, if not all of it, for everything that I'm doing, is run with a tool called Social Rotation. Um, and it's just making sure that I have daily content that's going up. And then even if I want to post something on the fly, I can do that. But it's something that's always keeping my stuff done. And it's just rotating my best content over and over again. So that's a huge tool for us to make sure that it's not like dead half the time. And then there's something there just every so often. Uh, from there, customer engine, um, both for email and for SMS marketing. That's the tool that we use to build our list. Um, and, you know, and then be able to send out to pockets. If you're somebody that like maybe plays shows in different areas, you can build a list that's like this town and then another one that's this town and this town. So everywhere that you happen to go, you're doing things from a position of a business, though. Um, maybe you've got customers that fit into different places too. You've got customers that are really into this one kind of thing that you're doing. Maybe they like the live music that you have at some nights. Then you've got customers that are more into your food and you can separate those lists too. So being able to strategically market to different segments of um, our audience for different things that they're into is absolutely huge. And so that's a tool that we uh, used to there. From a music perspective, um, you got to you got to give people the ability to get to you on their phones quickly. That's it. Like same thing with this podcast, you know, being in all the places we are with this podcast ensures that we're in the most places that we can be, um, you know, without having to put in a whole heck of a lot of extra effort. And so, you know, we use anchor for this podcast to sort of distribute us to everybody out there. So anchor FM is, is a great place for that. But in terms of like music, um, I use a couple of different services to do this. Probably, um, I'm trying to think of a couple of my favorites. There's one called CD Baby. Uh, there's one called TuneCore. Um, but like I said, there's lots of different services. And what they do is we'll submit our music, and then they will push us out to Spotify. Hmm. They will push us out to Apple Music. They will push us out kind of the same way Anchor FM, yeah. FM does for podcasts. These are going to do um, for our actual music. And so we submit them to those networks. Those things get pushed out a few days later to um, all the services. And that's how, like, even as a minor band, a minor musician, or let's just say you're a business that's never done this podcasting stuff before, you can literally have your stuff up alongside the people that this is what they do for a living like we do. And I think that that is the true value that the internet has provided a lot of us artists and business owners is distribution. Mm -hmm. um, anybody that's carrying this around right now can find all of my music. They can find all of my podcasts. And it's there. So if you get wind that I'm doing something that's cool, like maybe your friend mentioned it to you, you can literally go find me in two seconds. And from a musician standpoint, from a business standpoint, that is absolutely something that 10 years ago you could not do. 
You just, I tried. You <laughs> could not do it at the same level. It was so much more complicated to set things up from there. And so th- those are the things that really help us to get ourselves out there in a big way. That's awesome. Well, man, as, as we get kind of closer to kind of winding it down, I'd love for you to just kind of touch a little bit about just from a general 30,000 foot view, you're marketing a rock band, you're marketing a business. Why, why are those two things in concert, literally? And I, I mean that, I mean that as a positive play on words. Why are two, those two things, why do they work so well together? Why did, why does what you do in the music world transition so well to what you do in the business world? What, what is it about those two kind of sectors that just go hand in hand? I, I think the really interesting thing that, where you can tie in music marketing versus marketing a business is it's all a team sport. It really, really is. And um, when you're doing music marketing the right way, yes, you're building a list, you're doing all these things, but you really rely on your fans and the businesses that you work with to push you forward and to grow your audience and yeah. to grow the money that's coming into your, you know, your musician based business. When you're marketing a traditional business, it's the same thing. The vast majority of your customers are going to come refer referrals from your other customers, the really good ones anyway, or it's going to come from other businesses that are out there just like you that are sending business your way from their own customers. And so the better that you learn to sort of lift up this world for everybody that's involved, yes, your business can be seen as the star of the show because they do great things. Your band can be seen, you standing up there can be seen as the stars of the show. But the second you detach yourself from that and realize that you are a player in an orchestra, that's when you really take off. And the businesses that really take off, the musicians that really take off, even if maybe they don't realize it, there is a team that realizes we have to have this group of people or this group of businesses in place. And when we do that, nothing can stop this movement that we've got going. And that's how it all sort of relates and works together. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that makes perfect sense. And man, you know, you know, I've always felt about your music in general. I've always been such a fan. We, we've, we've got very similar tastes in music. And, and so I know, I know that when you put something out into the world, I'm going to like it, not just because I like you as a person, but because you've got a knack for kind of, you know, speaking my language, I guess, uh, from a music standpoint. So keep making the good shit. Whether it's music, whether it's marketing, keep doing it, buddy. You're you're doing awesome, and uh, you know I don't know if you want to part with anything else, but I, I love this this concert. I love this conversation of of marketing and music because to me they they really are they're spoken in the same language, and I think it's it's a really really cool conversation to have. I think the thing that I would you know put an exclamation mark at the end of the day is whatever your business is doing, how do you make other people a part of it? How do you make other people the star of what you're doing? And that's the thing. If you can make your customers the star of what you're doing, either by testimonials or by giving them the ability to tell more people about you, if they are the centerpiece rather than you, your stock goes way up, way faster. And that's the thing. It's not about who can play the best guitar uh, <laughs> you know, lick. It's not about who can sing the best. It's who creates the community around themselves. And if you can do that your business, your bands, whatever you happen to be doing goes. And the second you detach sort of yourself from being the centerpiece of things, the faster things will grow and the internet only magnifies that. So that's how it should all work. 